Give me a system and I will either manipulate it or break it. Right on. All right. Well, as I said, it's great to, uh, to, to see everybody here, all of your smiling faces this morning. We're going to have a good time this morning looking at some aspects of God's creation. We're going to look at some of God's creations because our God is so creative. He is so loving to, to have given us this, this world, this, this solar system, this universe to live in and to, to uh, investigate and to be curious about and to be driven to to uh, just see and understand and discover all of the good things that he has put around us and in us. And, and it's just awesome when you really take a look around creation. Um, but we're going to start. I heard once about a very brilliant group of scientists, kind of a think tank of sorts. And they got together and uh, were experimenting and they actually had some success. So they actually went to God. I just gave away, right? This whole thing is not true. They went to God and they said, God, we don't need you anymore. We have figured out how to create life from the dust of the earth, from the dirt, just like you did with Adam. God told them, wow, I'd I'd really love to see this. Why don't you go ahead and show me this? And so the scientists begin to scoop together a bunch of dirt and, and, and things from the ground. And God says, no, 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 no. Wait a second, you guys. You guys get your own dirt. It takes a second. It takes a second. Okay. Anyway, today I thought, since all of the kids are going to be going back to school, that we we might have a day kind of dedicated to science and the Bible. Now, a lot of people uh, would say that those two things cannot coexist together. You can't have science and the Bible together. That's a contradiction in terms. That's, That's like jumbo shrimp or congressional ethics or adult male. I mean, there's just things that just don't work. And what I would ask those people is, well, have you actually read the Bible? And if the answer is yes, I would say, well, and did you believe it? Do you believe what you read? Because we all know that just because you read something doesn't necessarily make you a believer in whatever it is you just read. Unless it's on the Internet, because everything on the Internet is true. We know, we know that, right? I read that on the Internet. Shameless. Shameless. No, but you you guys know how it is. A lot of people today just read the science books, read bits and pieces of books, just with the sole intent of proving it wrong. And I've done the same thing. I've been guilty of doing that. We've all, I think, if we're honest, would say that we have done that. We have poured through either our Bible or some other book just looking for something to prove someone else wrong. Looking for whatever text we can find in whatever book we're looking at to prove that I am right, I am justified, I'm okay, and you are wrong. We've all done it, but I think that uh, we need to take a look at the Bible knowing and understanding that I think that it's written with the intent that we, mankind, would be able to read it and understand it. I think that it's very clear in, in most cases. It means what it says. It says what it means. Uh, I, I don't think it's nearly as mysterious as some people try to uh, have us believe it would be. I think that all the answers that we need can be found between those pages. Everything from how to control your finances to the meaning of life is in that book. I mean, think about it. This book was written by God. The same God who, who loved mankind so much that he sent his only son to redeem it. 
The same God who, who created us with this capacity for understanding and learning, who, who put into us the curiosity that drives us and moves us to discover and investigate this creation that we're a part of. I mean, when you look around the world that we live in, and just I mean, on, a, on a larger scale, when you look at like the galaxy and the universe, it becomes, I think, more of a leap of faith to say that this all happened by accident than to say that everything around us is perfectly and magnificently and gloriously designed by a loving creator. That just makes more sense to me. It, it takes less faith to believe that. So if we look in Romans, in chapter 1 and verse 20, it tells us that, For since the creation of the world, his gods, his invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that would be us, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now here's, here's where we're at kind of right now. In verse 21 it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You guys know anybody like that? I know a few people that way. Professing to be wise. I have met some really dumb, smart people in my life. They think they've got it all together. They've managed to explain everything away. And there's no mystery left in their life. There's, there's no glory of God left in their life. They've changed, verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. We, we want to worship the creation rather than the creator. And we see that all through time. It's still going on. We have this habit, humans, people, have this habit of, of taking these amazing, glorious, the things of God and, and reducing them down to something that we can easily understand or we can easily explain instead of just being amazed by the, the marvelous works of God and praising Him for all that He has done and can do. The amazingness of our God. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to kind of take a look around us. We've spent a lot of time lately kind of looking at ourselves, looking inward at ourselves, and sort of examining things in our life and things that we can do to sort of improve our quality time spent with the Father, to, to, to deepen that relationship, and we want to do that. But I want to take today and spend some time sort of lifting our eyes out and looking at the world around us, um, at, at, at His perfection, at the beauty that He's given us to look at, the, the things He's done for us. And it's so majestic. It's so amazing. And so... I, I personally am a big fan of like evolution versus creation. I love looking at evolution and creation. And I want to look at just a few animals today because animals are awesome. So I want to look in a, in a, at a few animals today who never, I don't think, ever in a million years, no pun intended, could have evolved. Evolution, in my opinion, is a religion. And it's a religion that basically says we came from a single molecule or amoeba or a little single-celled organism. And through this miraculous set of circumstances and accidents, we morphed from one species to another to another and eventually became this beautiful, glorious thing that you see before you today. In other words, 
I've heard it put this way, from goo to you by way of the zoo. All right, so there's, I know, that's great stuff. There are a lot of species of animals today that I don't think ever could have evolved. One of my favorites is this guy right here. That is a giraffe, for those of you who are like, whoa, what is... Okay, now, now evolution would tell us that giraffes evolved those long necks, up to eight feet long, just the neck, in order to get to the very top branches to eat the leaves up there because the food was scarce and they had to reach up there to, to eat the leaves. That's, that's great. That's awesome. Okay? But how about this? Here, how about this interesting fact? Did you guys know that male giraffes are about two feet taller than females? So, sorry, ladies. Should have evolved a little more. You can't reach those top ones. And so, and what about this? What about, like, the babies? When the baby giraffes are born, they're not, like, 20 feet tall. Do you got, anybody know what baby giraffes are called? Nope, not kids. Baby giraffes. Um, only, there you go. They're called calves. Meaningless trivia on Sunday morning. <laughs> baby giraffes are called calves. That'll come in handy sometime when you go to one of those baby showers and they have, like, a little game for you. Just remember. Okay, so, evidently the calves just starved until they were tall enough to, to reach the branches up top, I guess, you know. So, that, to me, that, that doesn't make sense. Evolution doesn't make sense there, because uh, the time it would take, um, you just, you're going to have a bunch of dead giraffes laying around. So, the second reason that I don't think giraffes could have evolved, how many of you guys know that if you walk around with your neck craned way up like this for your whole life, your kids will not be born with longer necks. Make sense? I mean, really, let's... That's, it's like saying um, that if you cut the arm off of enough people, generation after generation, eventually people will stop being born with two arms. That's, it's kind of the reverse engineering way of looking at that. So, I just don't see it. That's the external part of the giraffe. Now, that's... That's only, that's only part of our science lesson today. Here's the really cool part. It's inside the giraffe, the circulatory system. This is, this is the awesomeness right here. Now, a giraffe's heart weighs about 25 pounds. And a full-grown giraffe. That's more than most of you guys' Thanksgiving turkeys. It's about the same size. It's about two feet. Okay, it has to be that big, and it has to work really well and, and move the blood at a high pressure through the system because the blood has got to get all the way up that neck to their brain, and that's a long way to go. So the, it has to pump, pump that blood at a high pressure up the way, up the, up the arteries in the neck. Okay, so here I am. I'm this giraffe, and I'm walking around, and I've got this huge 25-pound heart, and it's pushing all this blood up my neck to my brain. You guys are wondering if that's really happening right now, aren't you? Okay, well, what happens when a giraffe gets thirsty and starts looking for water? And we decide, oh, I'll take a drink. Well, now what happens? Now all that blood that was running up our arteries with a 25-pound heart pushing it is now being pushed downhill by the same heart. What happens then? I wish Dr. Pafford was here. What happens then? Your head explodes, right? And I mean, can you say aneurysm? Okay, that's what happens. Well, so what, what keeps that from happening? Because, okay, if, if, 
if there weren't some sort of system in place there to keep that from happening, to keep the giraffe's brain from exploding out of its skull whenever it leaned its head down, you'd have about one generation's worth of giraffes, right? Because they're going to get thirsty. Okay, so how does it work? In that same artery that runs up their neck, there's a series of little valves. And when the giraffe leans its head down to take a drink or, or graze from lower food, those valves close and they don't allow the blood to, to go through. They restrict the blood flow to the brain. There's a second system in place. At the base of their brain, there's, there's an organ that's like a sponge. Okay? And what that does is it soaks up any of the excess blood that's running downhill and soaks up the blood to keep it from running into the brain and exploding their head. So those two things had to be in place from the beginning. Otherwise, again, you'd have had about one generation of giraffes. Now, that's only half of the equation as far as that system goes. Okay? Now, here I am. I'm this giraffe, and I'm getting a drink. And, oh, I hear a noise. And I look up, and what do I see? There's a lion. There's a lion, and he's coming to eat me. Now what am I going to do? I'm going to scream. So I scream as this giraffe, right? And then I try to run away. But oh, guess what has happened? I've stood up and all the blood has been restricted to my brain. And now I feel faint. So I look like this. And I fall over because I'm faint and the lion eats me. Bad day to be a giraffe, right? Guess what? God thought of that. That, remember that little sponge that's in the back of their brain? As soon as they stand back up, that sponge releases that blood that it has collected into the brain and allows the giraffe to stand back up and not get faint and dizzy from lack of blood flow to the brain. Now, you're going to tell me that all of that, all of those systems evolved. All the giraffes would have been eaten by all the predators before the millions of years that evolution takes to, to transpire could have passed. Okay, there would be no giraffes. We'd be looking at fossils with big long necks and we'd think they were dinosaurs or something. There's no, in, that I can find, no other reasonable explanation that all those systems could be in place at the same time than the obvious one. They were always there. They were always there because they were designed that way. When God made giraffes, he made giraffes. He didn't make horses and then the horses craned their necks to get to the top of the tree and they became giraffes. He made giraffes. It's simple to me. Maybe I'm simple, but that's just how I see it. Okay, since we're, we're talking, and see guys, if there's a design, I don't want to get ahead of myself. If there's a design, it makes sense that there's a designer. You know? And it's right. And as long as we're talking about cool animals, here's our other, other, uh, Cool animal, I think. This, this is an owl. This looks like some of you guys before you've had coffee in the mornings. <laughs> you get a lot of heads or nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay, look. Owls are super cool, right? I mean, you guys have all seen Harry Potter. How cool is an animal that will deliver your mail? Huh? More useless trivia. Who remembers Harry Potter's owl's name? One person. It was Hedwig. His owl's name was Hedwig. All right. So, okay. Evolutionary question. Why would the owl, out of all the species of birds that exist, why would the owl be the only one to have evolved silent flight? 
Okay, you guys know that owls can fly silently. They don't make a flapping sound when they fly. Why? Why, why none of the other birds? Not one species that I was able to find has uh, uh, the ability to fly silently. I would think that some of the other birds might have found that useful. I would think that someone else might have thought, hey, silent flight, I should evolve silent flight. It makes sense that others would have evolved it, but why just one species? Just the owl. You guys know how that works? Their, their feathers, owl's feathers are designed so that they have these little tiny hairs that run up the, the edges of the feathers. And, and it deflects the air that's moving over the feathers and over the wing and the body. And that allows them to fly silently. And there's actually more than one reason for it. Why would they need to fly silently? There's the obvious answer, right? Because so, so that their prey doesn't hear them coming. Sure. That's, but there's actually, there's actually another, uh, another part of that, you see. Um, owls also have excellent hearing. Do you guys know where an owl, who knows where an owl's ears are? It's not on the side of its head, and it's not in the two little feathers that poke up and look like horns. Owl's ears are actually in the front of their face. Their ear holes are in the front of their face, and they're at a little bit different heights on the face. And the reason for that uh, is so they hear things at very slightly different times. And if you look at an owl's face, you see the feathers kind of make that circle. They sort of... Well, those feathers are that shape because they channel the sound that the owl is hearing into those ear holes. Okay? So, the owl hears things at slightly different times, and it allows the owl to know exactly where something is, even without being able to see it. Okay? An owl can, can, literally, can, and can hear a mouse moving under two feet of snow, and without even seeing where it is, can come down right on top of it. Okay, so silent flight is not just so that the prey can't hear them, but it's so they can hear the prey. And all of that just evolved from a single cell. And none of the other birds could have used any of those traits. I don't know, you know. I'm just saying. Why didn't any of that stuff evolve into any of the other birds? I begs the question. Last animal. What about us? How about human beings? You know, did we did we evolve from primordial soup? Did we did we evolve from a single celled organism all the way to this? And I mean we didn't evolve ear holes in the front of our face. I hope. You know, I mean let's let's we have we have eyes in the front of our face. Let's say let's take a look at those. The eye. I think everyone I know has eyes. Maybe not the greatest, but they've got them. Now when you look at something with your eyes, you, you sort of take for granted that it's going to be in focus, that it's going to hold still while you look at it, that it, you're only going to see one of it. You have two eyes, but you only see one object. So how does that all happen? I mean, I don't see any way for that to have evolved over millions of years. Natural selection and, and evolutionary uh, efficiency wouldn't allow for it. Evolution keeps the traits that are the strongest and the, that are the most used. And in order for an eye to evolve, there's so many processes going on there. There would have had to have been all sorts of these wasteful operations going on. And then you would have had to, and then those wasteful operations would have had to have been kept. 
until the next generation of wasteful operations could evolve and be paired with those and so on down the line. Not only that, but it would have to happen in at least one male and one female and they would have to find each other, mate, produce viable offspring. They would go through the same process and on and on down the line, millions of years later, you have a perfectly working eyeball. It doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, I just don't have enough faith to believe all of that. Even Darwin uh, recognized how amazing a human eye is. Darwin said, uh, To suppose that the eye, with all of its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus for different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Now, he did go on to make some more explanations, and he came to the conclusion that he still did believe that it did evolve. (laughs) But, he did say, to, to suppose all of these things happened through just happenstance and just a series of happy accidents seemed just unbelievable to him. Okay, and that's pretty, okay, that's pretty complex. How about something simpler? Something really simple. How many of you have cut yourself in any way, shape, or form this week? I mean, if you cut yourself shaving, you, you know, you fell and you skinned a knee, uh, you got in a fight with your kids, I don't know. Whatever may have happened. Okay, some kind of blood was drawn from you. Now, how many of you are still bleeding from that? Okay. Nobody raises their hand. Why? Our blood clots when it hits the air, right? Hopefully. Hopefully only when it hits the air. But think about how awesome that is. It's, it's simple. We take it for granted. But how cool is that? That we have this, this, this blood inside of us. Okay, which, by the way, the Bible says blood contains the life. Inside our bodies. And God has given us a way to keep that blood, that life, inside our bodies. Even when it wants to come out, we've, we've been given this ability to heal ourselves. Okay, so when we look around us, whether, whether it's man, whether it's animals, uh, when we just see the perfection and we see the series and how everything works together and it all meshes, how can we, how can we think that, that Everything working together in harmony with itself and with other organisms and other life forms, you just can't help but be amazed by the complexity of it and at the same time the simplicity of it. It's, it's incredible. Life itself is, is so complex and at the same time so simple. And that brings us to our, our, our next point. Why, why life on earth at all? I mean, how did all that happen? Now we're getting way back... To, to all sorts of theories here. But why is there life on earth at all? I mean, we have these, what, billions of accidents that work together coincidentally to produce a, a perfect atmosphere capable of sustaining life. And then, and then billions more accidents to create that life from something or nothing. I, it just doesn't make sense. If you guys... There's a, there's a thing called the anthropic principle. Have you ever heard of it? I, I don't know. It's kind of a big word, but the anthropic principle simply is, is, is how our earth was made, was created with mankind in mind. You see, the earth is just the right size to produce just the right amount of gravity 
and it's just the right distance to the moon, which is just the right size in relationship to the planet Earth to uh, cause the tidal patterns in the oceans to work correctly, among other things. And, and the Earth-Moon system is exactly the right distance from the sun, and the sun is exactly the right size so that it produces exactly the right amount of heat so that we don't burn and we don't freeze. And the air is just the right mixture of chemicals to allow us to breathe. That's a lot of coincidence. That's a lot of, wow, I'm glad that worked out. You know? And, and, and some would say that the earth wasn't designed with life in mind, that, that life just sort of happened here, and that it adapted to the natural uh, atmospheric conditions and biologic conditions that already existed. It was adaptation and evolution. Okay, all right. Why, then, hasn't it happened on any other planet? Why not? You know, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Anything else. When you look at all of the constants in nature, when you look at all of the, the things that are happening, that have to happen exactly the way they do, there's no room for error. There's no room for error. It, this is just an amazing series of circumstances, of coincidence, and it took billions and billions of, of accidents all working together to work, or some sort of explosion just caused everything to, to magically come into existence and, and, and magically and perfectly work out to create and to sustain life. As if, if that's true, if order can come from chaos, we should be able to take a stick of dynamite and throw it into a building full of airplane parts and when the dust settles we should have a working 747. I mean, that, that, to me, that's... You know how many times that's happened? Ever? No, guys, it's... The simplest answer is sometimes the best one. I think that, that the earth and the universe that it's floating through were specifically created by God. And specifically created for the purpose of supporting and sustaining the life that God has created and placed here. Humans, us. All right? And, and, and speaking of the universe, we're going to look at that for a few minutes. You know, uh, did you guys, according to Genesis, the earth was created before any of the stars or the moon or the sun. It was, it was the centerpiece of creation. I mean, day one, God created the earth. Right? He didn't, he didn't create everything else and then go, oh, you know, I need something for... No. It was day one. So what that tells me, or suggests to me, is that the first thing on God's mind was creating a place for mankind to dwell. Creating a, a place for, for his, his creation. For the apple of God's eye. And it's, you know, it's pretty humbling if you think about it. You look at the rest of creation. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at the sun. Why is all of that out there? What's the point of all of that? If, if, if the earth is the centerpiece, why make the rest of it? Why make the, the, the stars and all of the extra stuff that's out there for us to see? Hmm. Well, maybe it's just that simple. Maybe it's for us to see. Maybe it's for us to look at and, and be amazed and in awe and, and just blown away when we look up at the stars and the heavens and, and we, we think of this God that has created all of this stuff and how beautiful it is and the fact that he holds that in his hand. 
How awesome is that? And then he's mindful of us. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. God's handiwork is just laid out for us to see every night, every day. We can look around and we can see this amazing thing happening. Psalm 8, verses 3, 4, and 6. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Skip down to verse 6. It says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We just see all of these things and we are in awe that God has given us dominion, given us a place over all of this. But the Bible tells us it was even more than that. It was more than that. Genesis uh, 1, verse 14 and 15 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament for the heavens to divide the day and the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. What does that mean? God gave us the stars in the sky, not just to display his, his handiwork, his awesome creation, his glory, but also to help us to discern time, to discern the seasons, to help us navigate. We, we can use the stars. This is a star chart. We can use it for navigating. It's, it's so simple. But don't we do our best to explain it all away? To make it less magnificent than it is. We take something beautiful and we clothe it and, and in rags and disguise it as something that we can just easily dismiss. Just, just sort of shrug our shoulders and, and give it a passing glance. And not stop to think of the precision, the detail, the beauty of it all. Psalm 147 says that God gave every star a name and that he knows every one of them. How creative is that? How caring is that? For a God to know the name of every star and to have given it that name. 1 Corinthians 15.41 says this, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. It goes on to say, For one star differs from another star in glory. Because that tells us every star is unique. It's like a fingerprint. No two are alike. No two are the same. Every star is unique. It's different from the rest. Now, how would the writers in the first century know that? I mean, really, think about it. We get it now. We have telescopes. We have Hubble. We can see that there are different characteristics with each star. But guys, go outside tonight and look up. And honestly, when you look with the naked eye as they would have been in the first century writing this? Admit it, most of them look the same. Most of the stars, they look like little pinhole, pinpoints, and, and they all look like white, and they're pretty and great. And we can only see about 3,000 of them with the naked eye. But the writers of the Bible in the first century knew somehow that each star was different from the others, that they had different characteristics, different traits. How did they know that? Because God desires that we would know him. God breathed his word through those men with the intent 
that we would know him, that we would know his caring, that we would know his attention to detail and his attention to us. Because he wants us to know him. And at the risk of inflating everyone's ego, he chose humans as his highest creation, the pinnacle of God's creation. Think about it. We were made in the image of God. Everything else was spoken into existence. Man and woman were fashioned by God's own hands. How amazing is that? It's everything around us, the moon, the sun, the stars, the cosmos, the universe, the planet, everything you can see or feel or hear or touch has been given to us by a loving God. I find it incredibly humbling to think that that this was all created with me in mind. All created for you. To, To think, guys, that you were not an afterthought to creation. You were the reason. It was intended that you would be a part of all of this. From the beginning. That was the whole point. Now, let me show you something that, in my opinion, this makes this, this fact even cooler, as if it needed to be cooler, right? But I did, a, I did a, just a really quick uh, word lookup of the word that they use for man in Psalm 8. Who is man that you are mindful of him? Okay. It's also in, uh, it's also in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It quotes from the book of Psalms. And it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Okay, the word for man is enosh. And the root for that word is a primitive root. It's called anash, is how that's pronounced. Okay, The point of it is that word means desperately wicked, woeful, incurable. Isn't it amazing that our creator, God, made all of this knowing that we were sinful, woeful, wicked, that he cared so much for us that even as we handed the title deed for for this world over to Satan in the garden... That God had a plan to save us. That he had a plan to ransom us from our sin. That he had a plan to see us as holy and righteous and blameless. Because we don't even understand, as we, as we look at the last part of those verses in verse 8, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We don't even know all the things that God has for us. We don't even begin to grasp the things that God has put in front of us, under our feet. Now, don't get cocky about it, though, okay? Just realize that here, surrounded by this amazing creation, it might seem like maybe you're not that important, you know? Who am I that you would even think of me, God? It might seem like God wouldn't even notice you. When we look around at at the stars and at the sunsets, the miracles of nature that happen every day, it might seem that, that you don't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things. But guys, let me tell you something. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. You have been made 
a little lower than the angels. Some translations read a little lower than God. For a time. Not forever, for a time. See, the Bible tells us we're co-inheritors of heaven with Christ. God desires to have fellowship with us. To be, on a, to be on a, on a, sitting at a table looking across at us, not down at us. To call us friends, to call us family. God's desire is that we would know him. You see, this, this whole miracle of creation was designed and purposed and created for one thing, and that's you and I. You were not an afterthought. You were the purpose. And guys, if, the, if that doesn't make your heart swell just a little bit, you need to see a doctor. Because that's a big deal. And so, so how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? I'll have the guys go ahead and come back up and join me. We respond to that very simply with love. With love for the one who loved us first. For the God who is love. The God who knew you before he formed you in the womb. The God who, who knows the number of hairs on your head. For me, that's a small number. But we worship him. We adore him. We thank him. We call him Abba, Father. We seek him and we give ourselves to him as he's given himself to us. And, and guys, if you've never done that, today is the day of salvation. Do it today. If you never have, if you've been playing church for your whole life and you've never gotten serious with God, do it today. Why wait? Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and he will. Spend some time with him. Just be still and, and let him speak to you. And he will. He wants to. And so guys, if, as we close today, we're going to close in song. And, and as we do, if you, if you need prayer... Guys, there are people all around you that would love to pray with you, that would love to, to touch hands with you and agree with you in prayer. Just ask someone next to you. And if, if that weirds you out, if that, makes, if that makes you uncomfortable, catch up with somebody after the service. Catch up with, with me or one of our elders. Anybody. We would love to, to, to just touch something and, and agree with you in prayer. And so, we're going to close in song. And, and guys, just... Let's just let God be God today in our lives. And let's see what he'll do if we just ask. Because that's really all he desires. That none should perish, but that all would know him. And it's an awesome thing to serve the Lord. Could I ask you to stand?